Psalm 139 this morning, if you have your Bibles, it has been quoted a couple times already. I think we actually lost one. We're actually searching now. <clears throat> Thanks, Alex. The only time that we've ever lost someone in our church. <laughs> I want to welcome every single one of you this morning. A beautiful day. Cold, but it is warm in here. Thank you, Matt, for leading us before the throne of grace in worship. Jenny, what a delight it is to have you here as well. Would you please bow your heads and pray with me as we dive into the Word of God this morning. Let's pray. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name be the glory. That is our prayer. We thank you, Lord, for the the blessing it has already been to unite our voices in song to you as a, as a sacrificial offering. Father, to have our ears already hear the reading of your word. And to know, Lord, that you have before us a few moments that you have set aside since the foundations of the earth were set for us to hear what, what you have for us this morning. And so, Lord, I I plead with you, please, be with my, my words, my mouth, and my tongue. May everything that is said be for your glory. I do pray, Lord, that you would minister to souls and to hearts the power of your spirit in a way, Lord, that is just beyond our understanding. We ask this now in the amazing and wonderful and matchless name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Amen and amen. As you've already heard, we are blessed as a local church to, walk, to work alongside of other area churches and even area denominations in a relationship with the Pregnancy Resource Clinic of Lock Haven. It's a true joy to have Jenny Summers, Executive Director, with us here this morning. I want to thank you. In a sense, many have kind of known about and supported and prayed for PRC from afar, from State College. But what was a vision of Jenny's many years ago has become reality right here with our own clinic in Lock Haven. If you had the opportunity to be there during the open house, it is beautiful, beautiful. So I was thinking this morning... How much more beautiful is it to know that when a woman who is faced with one of the most daunting and frankly terrifying moments of her life in unplanned pregnancy or maybe a sickness or even a disease, to know that she will be met and she will be ministered to with the same grace and love and mercy that Jesus has ministered to every single one of us with. Which means what? It, it's not just love and grace for a fleeting moment as care and counsel are offered, but because PRC is unapologetically pro-life, they have a unique opportunity to offer grace and love and mercy even if a woman chooses abortion. Think for a moment, how important is it to love in the midst of 
hardship? How important is it to extend grace in the midst of sorrow? And I am certain of this, that many people ask, why? Why? If you just think for a moment, literally, for something like that to happen, literally hundreds of meetings, hundreds of meetings, thousands of prayers, tens of thousands, you could even say hundreds of thousands of dollars over a period of years. Really? Really, is it worth it? I stand before you upon the authority of the Word of God and say, absolutely. Let me ask you a question. What is the value of a human life? What is the value of a human life? Many of you know that for years I have collected baseballs and I have collected them from many players and games I've been to and stadiums and, and what is it? It is simply a piece of rubber or cork that is wrapped in yarn covered with bleached leather cowhide raced, laced with red wax dipped cotton. It has 108 double stitches. It weighs 5.25 ounces. And the materials to make a baseball cost about $2.09. But what if that baseball, like the one I have in my office, was, was signed by the last Triple Crown winner, Mikel Cabrera? How much is that ball worth? Let me tell you what, it's, it's worth a lot, a lot more. Rather than like $2.09, it's worth a lot more. Probably like $22.09. <laughs> or, or what if, just what if, what if I had a ball signed by Lou Gehrig or Babe Ruth or Mickey Mantle? The value increases based upon who touches it have you ever thought about the same what would be the value how much are the elements of your body worth dr Anne marie helmenstein a phd in biomedical sciences for the university of tennessee broke down the elements from which every single one of our bodies are made by percentage here it is we are 65 percent oxygen 18% carbon, 10% hydrogen, 3% nitrogen, 1.5% calcium, 1% phosphorus, 0.35% potassium, 0.25% sulfur, I could go on, 0.15% sodium, 0.15% chlorine, 0.05% magnesium, 0.0004% iron, 0.0004% iodine that's what we are made up of think for a moment what's the body's worth of all of those elements you realize it's just over one dollar the raw elements that comprise a human body and yet one that is been touched by the creator Genesis chapter 1, it says in verse 27, so God created man in his own image. The image of God, he created it male and female. He created them and God blessed them. What is the value of that life? It is absolutely priceless. 
continues on in Genesis chapter 2. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living creature. So when you think about the lives, think about the lives that have been saved through the work and the ministry and the sacrifice and the prayers of the PRC. Is it well worth it? Absolutely. Praise God. Which means what? Not only do you matter, but the lives of every single one of those little babies, they matter as well. You've opened up before you the scriptures that were read by Pastor Aaron this morning. Let me just direct your attention again to a couple verses in verse 13 and 14. It says, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. And I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your work and my soul knows it very well. Now, as a church that has gathered on the Lord's Day, that is filled with souls who knows it very well, what is it? The value of life created in the Imago Dei. We have a responsibility before us this morning. You've been offered a responsibility. Three things. The first one is this. We have a responsibility first and foremost to make a biblical defense for life. A biblical defense for life. Understand the most powerful argument against abortion is the fact that the unborn baby is unique person. The unborn baby is a person. Well, some may argue that life doesn't begin until birth. Or life doesn't begin until, what, 18 weeks or 8 weeks. I, I want us to be familiar with and consider the many texts and verses of Scripture that indicate an unborn child should be thought of and protected as a person from the very moment of conception. Luke chapter 1 and verse 41, it says, When Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, Elizabeth said, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. We could continue on in one, Psalm 139. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. David, the psalmist in Psalm 51 says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. What? After David confesses his sin, he admits what? His sinfulness actually extended prior to the time that he was even born. Genesis chapter 25 and verse 21, And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived, and she had twins. It says that the children struggled together within her, and she said, why is this happening to me? 
So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said that what? Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. There's evidence over and over again, like there's a real person there. Exodus chapter 25 says, if men strive together and hurt a pregnant woman so that her, her child comes out, if there is harm, then you shall pay for life for life, eye for eye, and tooth for tooth. And that is severe. And that's speaking of, in a sense, what? Accidental. How much more serious would it be for intentional harm? Luke chapter 1 and verse 30. 43, Elizabeth called Mary the mother of the Lord shortly after she was pregnant. And this is significant because we know that the incarnation of Christ, as we just recently celebrated, does not just happen at birth. Does not just happen when he was a young boy, but it happened when the Holy Spirit came upon her and Mary conceived. Several texts throughout Scripture that weave together a simple and clear theme that says what? People, regardless of what you hear in our world today, when you hear of this, what? Fetal tissue. You have to understand it is life. It is real life. It is a real person. He or she is a person. There's no one. There's no one whose life is more vulnerable today than the unborn. So yes, we, we can and we should argue theologically and understand that there is a biblical defense for life. But we also have a responsibility, and you need to know this, to read about and to study and to make, secondly, a scientific defense for life. I know for many, it has been maybe a little while since you've been to ninth grade biology class. And I'm going to keep this certainly appropriate, but I want you to hold on to this for a moment. Diane Irving, a biochemist and biologist who is a professor at Georgetown University, writes this. To begin with scientifically, something very radical occurs between the processes of gametogenesis and fertilization. The change from a simple part of one human being, a sperm, and a simple part of another human being, an ovum or an egg, which simply possess human life, to a new genetically unique, newly existing individual, a whole human being. That is, upon fertilization, parts of human beings have actually been transformed into something transformed. Very different from what they were before. They have been changed into a single whole human being during the process of fertilization. The, the sperm and the Oocyte ceased to exist as such, and a new human being is produced. Hold on to this. For example, the characteristic numbers, number of chromosomes for a member of the human species is 46. Every cell in a human being has this characteristic number of chromosomes. Sperms and oocytes are derived from the primitive germ cells by means of the process known as 
gametogenesis because each sperm cell normally has 46 chromosomes the process of fertilization cannot take place until the total number of chromosomes in each cell is cut in half this is necessary so that at fertilization chromosomes in a single individual member of the home in, of the human species 46 can be maintained to accurately see why a sperm or an oocyte are considered as only possessing human life and not as living human beings themselves, one needs to look at the process. The products of gametogenesis and fertilization are very different. The products are mature sex gametes with only 23 instead of 46 chromosomes. The product of fertilization is a living human being with 46 chromosomes. Gametogenesis refers to the maturation of what? Sperm and oocytes. Fertilization refers to the initiation of a new human being. Now let's step out of the science class for a moment and speak like language that we understand. This is what is being spoken here. The distinct genetic identity of an unborn child shows that he or she is far different in every single cell of the child's body from any part of the mother's own body. Which means what? Every cell in the mother's body contains the mother's DNA, not the child's DNA. Now, why is this important? Because there's an argument that you hear it all the time. And I could stay, say, instead of argument number one, I would be so bold as to say this is actually lie number one. And this is what you hear. It's my body. I can do with it whatever I want. When you hear that argument, when you hear that lie, you need to respond, yes, it is your body and you are carrying within you a totally, totally different body. Remember this, at eight weeks, and Jenny has on her table in the back a little tiny model of how tiny, and yet at eight weeks, two months, a baby can suck their own thumb, recoils from a prick, or feels pain. An eight-week-old baby responds to sound all their organs are present. The brain is functioning. The heart is pumping. Liver is making blood cells. Kidneys are cleaning fluid. They have their own little fingerprints. And at 21 weeks, what? A baby can survive outside the womb. While the baby is in the womb of the mother, it is not her body. The baby has its own body, own DNA, has its own organs, own blood type. Therefore, the argument of what? It's my body. I can do whatever I want with it is an argument that is simply wrong. It is wrong. There are plenty of laws that tell you you cannot do whatever you want with your own body. Take your clothes off, not really, run down the street, and what? You're going to jail. 
You don't get to do whatever you want with your body. There is such hypocrisy. It's my body. No, no. It's your body that has within you another body. Well, we certainly praise God for the reversal of Roe v. Wade in June of 2022 after 63 million babies were aborted since 1973. The striking down of a federal law no, means what? Still, it still allows abortion rights to be determined by the individual states. Many states, including our own Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, allow it and even encourage it. Therefore, what is our responsibility? We must, we must speak up for the right to life. We must vote. Find an unapologetic pro-life candidate. Not life begins at a certain point of whatever number that they choose. An unapologetic pro-life candidate. Vote for them. Why is this so important? Because there's actually another argument that's out there. There's another argument because they lie out there. Lie number two is what? If we don't allow abortion, then women will die. All over the news, all the time we hear this. Well, this is, this is for the good. Do the research. The Center for Disease Control published findings conducted by Jeannie Chang. She did a study on the pregnancy-related mortality surveillance, and she quotes, The number of abortions carried out to save the life of a mother is extremely Rare, less than 0.118% of all abortions. And yet you hear this all the time. When you consider who is really, really concerned about the life of a mother. Remember this, while there are, and we did the research this week, 22 Planned Parenthood centers in Pennsylvania. There are 150 Women's advocacy centers in Pennsylvania, like the PRC being one of them. That is a six to one ratio who encourage what? Mama or daddy to choose life. And yet what is amazing is this, even if they do not choose life, they are committed to still lovingly care for post-abortive women. What, what is the church's response? What should be our response in that? Remember when Jesus was teaching in John chapter 8, and they caught a woman in adultery, and the Pharisees just wanted her dead, just, just stone her. And it says that that Jesus spoke to the Pharisees and he says, anyone that is without sin, let him cast the first stone. And then it says that he, he bent down and he began to write in the sand. One of the questions that I have when I, when I meet Jesus and we all, like, what did you write? Doesn't matter what he wrote. He began to write in the sand. And when they read what Jesus was writing, it says that they dropped their stones and they left. But that's just like the beginning part. Jesus then stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Where'd they go? 
has no one condemned you? And she said this, no one, Lord. No one's left. And Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. But then he says this statement, go and from now on sin no more. Yes, we are all called to repentance. And yes, as all of us are sinners, that's why what? We don't throw stones. It's not going to accomplish what God calls us to as furthering the kingdom of God, the responsibility we have to be what, be what speakers and truth-tellers of the good news of the gospel. Argument number three that you will hear, lie number three, is what? Abortion is necessary in the case of rape or incest. And this is so, such a delicate, delicate subject. While we must first, first and foremost, recognize the genuine pain, recognize the horror of such an assault experienced by the mother who what? Unwillingly is pregnant. And sadly, oftentimes at a very young age. We must commit to journey alongside of one who what emotionally suffers as a result and, and legitimately has been traumatized, truly traumatized. Well, it certainly is a concern. We also have to know the research and know the truth. According to Guttmacher Institute, a survey of 1,160 women who had abortions Less than 1.5% of them were actually conceived through rape. A 2013 study by the University of California reported out of 954 women who reported abortions, zero. There was none of them who offered a reason of rape or incest. Yet what? Regardless of stats, we must still know and we must still come alongside to offer support and to offer encouragement if and when that does happen. While this argument is often used, we need to begin by first asking ourselves, would it be right to kill a baby who is conceived through rape after he or she was born. Would, would it be right? Would it be a good thing to kill the baby who was conceived by rape after he or she was born? Certainly not. Absolutely not. Such a, a, a child does not lose its right to live based upon the circumstances of its conception. Therefore, what? We cannot ever think it's right to kill the child before he or she is born. The assault, understand, was not the child's fault. The assault was not the child's fault. Therefore, the child should not be put to death for someone else's crime. Deuteronomy chapter 24 and verse 16, fathers shall not be put to death because of their children, nor shall children be put to death because of their fathers. 
each one shall be put to death for his own sin. Which what? That very comment leads us directly to what is needed right now more than ever before, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is, it is, it is a perfect reminder, regardless of horrible circumstances, there is one, there is one who chose to take the punishment that we deserve. And that's Jesus. We know the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. In 1 Peter 2, it says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, we have been healed. There's only one who suffers in the place of others. Romans chapter 3 and 24 we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. You, you understand what's, what's at play here? What's at work here? Rather than punishing the one, there, there's one who's taking the punishment for us. If you begin to read and to research, there are so many stories and testimonies whose lives have, have begun through a, a horrible, traumatic assault such as that. And when the mother still chooses life to carry that little one, there is still such blessing. Dr. Ronnie Hill is pastor and evangelist graduated from Southwestern Theological Seminary. And he says this, and I quote, I am not here on this planet by accident, and neither are the people that, that we share with every week. Every embryo that is conceived was formed and created by a loving God. We are valuable to him. And he has an incredible plan for each life. Life should not and must not be stopped by selfish human being because God has a greater purpose. And he's speaking as one who is the product of rape. He continues on, God did not cause that evil deed to happen to my mom. That was one man's depraved mind and willful sin, but God turned it for the good in my life and in my mom's life. I know there's many people that feel this statement, it's cliche, especially when they are in the midst of tremendous pain. But think of what Genesis chapter 50 says, although man meant it for evil, God can take the evil and turn it to that which is good. Now as a church, we have to be, we have no choice to be fully obedient to the authority of Scripture. Ephesians chapter 5 says what? Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead we expose them. And that's what we must do. And that's why we set apart a day, one day a year. We need to leave this morning with clear guidelines. How do we, how do, we do this? But how do we do this well? How do we do this wise? I'll leave you with four things very quickly. The first is what? Cherish life. Speak of life. Speak of the giver of life. Celebrate life. Work to protect life. Give 
God the glory for all life, regardless of the circumstances. Number two, we are never to shed blood ourselves. Whether or not it's homicide, suicide, infanticide, all of it attempts to remove God from his throne. And it says clearly in his word, in 1 Samuel chapter 2, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, that he is the one who gives life, he is the one who takes life. We don't attempt to move God from the, from the sovereign place that he alone holds. Thirdly, we are to denounce the shedding of blood of others, which means we must speak up. Jenny even alluded to this in her testimony. Many people would say, well, I'm not, I'm not for abortion today, but it's, it's not really my place to speak up. People, that is, that is wrong. It is your place to speak up. Ephesians chapter 4 says we speak truth in love. And I talk and teach that we emphasize both of those. Fourthly, we are to protect those who cannot protect themselves. The best thing, the first thing that we can do is pray. And we are a church that gathers together to pray specifically for those who cannot protect themselves. There's a responsibility of voting that we've been blessed with. Research the candidates. Do the homework. Perhaps, what? Perhaps you may be one who is being, what? Called by God to run for office, to speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Our responsibility of a church is to support those who do, to volunteer to serve, to give, to sacrifice. And I am fully aware that in a group this size and as many connections and relationships that there are individuals even right now under the sound of my voice that are battling decisions that have been made in the past. Battling a shame. Feeling in a sense what? It's, it's kind of, it's, it's too far. It's beyond forgiveness people please please be assured the best thing that you can do is simply ask someone for help in the midst of this to what from darkness we live and we are children of the light and you have to understand this you are loved you are not alone and so we are to be offering and to be seeking to offer help to one another, to quote Jenny Summers and the entire PR staff and family, to know that you truly matter. In my earlier days, in my youthful days of ministry, I remember one particular cold Sunday in New England in January, and I was speaking on this very subject, on the horrors of abortion. And I have to be honest, I thought I did a really good job. Exodus chapter 20, thou shall not kill. And I will never forget the young woman who came up to me afterward. And she came up to me in such grace and such love and gentleness. I remember her name. I've written it here for me to remember. And she said this, she said, Pastor, 
What about the woman who's just had the abortion? How do we love her? How do we love her? And my response was just total silence. I was... I had been so insensitive and I had been so wrong and I was so concerned about getting to the goal that I missed the person, the person. And I will tell you that since that time, I have sought to minister in a different way. That yes, we need to speak truth, but we need to see the person in the midst of all of this. Well, we may be clear in speaking up for the unborn, we must be as equally clear to offer love and grace and mercy to all, just like Jesus has offered that to us. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. And we, we acknowledge, Lord, that there is difficult truth all the way through. But we, once again, commit to surrender to your authority, to be obedient to your word over ours. We do pray, Lord, for our state, for our state legislators, for our president, for federal government, for those in House and Senate. And Father, I just pray that we would be a church that is not pointing fingers in condemnation, Yes, we are speaking truth and the blessings of life that you've created, and that's all life. But we would also, in love and grace and mercy and kindness, love everyone, regardless of their past. Father, we admit and confess that we cannot do this in our own strength, and so we ask strength from you. And we praise you and thank you, the giver of life. We love you, Lord. We ask this now in Christ's name. Amen.